Vince Band. Let's give the band a round of applause. They did really well. And also the, the volunteers, Marshant, and the sound team and the media team. We give them all a round of applause. Thank you so much, guys. Um, a, lot of, a lot of effort and time goes into doing these services. The band's been here from 4 o'clock. Volunteers have been here from just before 5. So um, if, you, if you also want to volunteer and help out, then please come talk to, to me afterwards and I'll find work for you to do. Fantastic. Okay. Hello, everybody. Turn to somebody next to you and say, yes, your teeth look lacquer. <laughs> okay. Uh, one of my mother's favorite jokes, she says, is your dentist named Moses? Because there's a big gap in between your two front teeth. <laughs> uh, the passion gap. Okay. So uh, I'm very excited for this month. This month, starting today, we're going to be looking at Jesus in the Old Testament. Do you guys know that Jesus is in the Old Testament? <laughs> Thanks, Sancha. Uh, big fan. Okay, cool. You know that Jesus is in the Old Testament, right? And uh, what? Yes, he's there. Um, and most of us, you know, we, we read the New Testament. We read the Gospels like, yeah, Jesus came to save. Woo! And then, you know, we read it a few times. We're like, okay, I'm feeling adventurous. Let's open up the Old Testament. You're like, oh, shucks. Okay, God wipes out all the, the Egyptians with plagues. Okay, no, that's, that's cool. Maybe there's another good story. God opens up the earth, swallows all the Israelites. Oh, shucks. Okay. Um, death, destruction. Shucks. Okay. okay. You know, I'll just read a psalm. Psalms are cool. <laughs> right? Then yeah, I'll go back to the gospel. Check. Read the Old Testament. But, but here's the thing. You see, see, David starts off his first psalm and he says, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, nor does he stand in the path of sinners, nor does he sit in the seat of scoffers. But his delight is in the, in the law of the Lord. And on the law, he meditates day and night. He is like a tree planted by streams of waters and that bears its fruit in its season, whose leaves do not wither. And everything that he touches prospers, right? But not so are the wicked, for they are like chaff blown away in the wind. Therefore, the wicked will not stand in the path, in the seat of judgment, nor will the Sinners stand in the congregation of the righteous, for the Lord knows the path of the righteous, but the path of the wicked will perish, right? That wasn't me, that was David. Not David from Bethlehem. Hey, we're kind of Bethlehem bastards. How's it going? Give them a round of applause. Um... David, actually, David was kind of from Bethlehem. It's quite funny, actually. Oh, sure. Yeah, okay. It's like, oh, wait, wait a minute there. Okay, cool. So now what is the law? What is this law that David's referring to? He's referring to the first five books of the Old Testament, right? It's, the, it's Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, best book of the Bible, right? <laughs> Numbers, Deuteronomy, right? 
And so when David's talking about the law of God, he's talking about these first five books. And not only is he tolerating the first five books, not only is he getting through Leviticus and Numbers and Exodus and all their drama, it's, it's that he's enjoying it, right? Who of you have heard Leviticus and enjoy in the same sentence together? I did meet a guy in a mission, tri- in a mission to Japan uh, who was from America, uh, Quaker was his name, and he said that his favorite book in the Bible was Leviticus. I was like, shucks, okay. This guy is either onto something or he is on something. But <laughs> I'll give him the benefit of the doubt. Um, but this is what David said. He read it and he found delight in it, right? And, and so we're going we're gonna to look over the next couple of weeks. I'm going to be talking about the tabernacle, specifically the tabernacle of Moses. I don't know if you guys were there on Wednesday during the training that we had with uh, Murray and the 111 team. You guys were there and he spoke about the tabernacle of, of David and it's more or less the same thing. The only thing that David did differently was that he just surrounded the whole tabernacle with a bunch of worshippers. Very cool. So um, I think we recorded those sessions, eh? So I think we'll, we'll ask Rickus about putting them out for you to listen to. But fantastic. So I really, really would like you guys to listen to, to that. He talks about the tabernacle of, of Moses. And then Amor next week is going to talk about um, prophecy in the Old Testament and how Jesus is the fulfillment of prophecy. And in my opinion, one of the most powerful um, uh, examples of how how Scripture is reliable is in the prophecy that Armel's going to talk about, so don't mess it up, Armel. And then Marshant's going to be talking in two weeks from today, as confirmed as of today, <laughs> just before this service. <laughs> and, then, and then I'm going to be talking in three weeks, and I'm going to be talking about what, a very famous story in the Bible, and I'm going to be talking about sin, suffering, and all those amazing things. But I'm not going to give away any spoilers. But did you know that, that that story, even of sin and suffering, is a story of hope in the fulfillment of Jesus Christ? Right? Okay. But before I get ahead of myself, I want to show you this one picture. Go to, go to the next slide. This is one of my favorite pictures. I show it at the start of every Bible school first year. Okay. And what we have going on here, I've got this fancy laser pointer. And if you look at the top over there, you start with Genesis, and you get to Revelation, so it's all the different books of the Bible, okay? And what this is, is basically cross-references, where one part of the Bible references a different part of the Bible, okay? And over here, there's Matthew, there's Jose, so right there, that's where it changes from the Old Testament to the New Testament, right at that central spot over there. And it looks a little bit confusing, but if you spend a little bit of time looking at it, Basically, you get all these little lines that are referring to Old Testament things, and this is normal, okay? We, as people, we tend to talk about things that have already happened. You know, if you're very excited for a movie that you're going to go watch on Thursday, you don't talk about that movie yet because you haven't watched it, right? That makes sense. We tend to talk about things that happened in the past. So, so these lines underneath here, yeah, this is pretty normal, but where it gets really crazy is these red lines on top, because this is something that's happening in the Old Testament that is referred to in the New, that is fulfilled and happens in the New Testament. In other words, there's somebody in the past that is talking about something that's going to happen and does happen in the New Testament. And this doesn't happen 
once or twice. There's 340,000 of these cross-references. The Bible is the most hyperlinked book that you will find. Uh, but about a quarter of these are things that are spoken about, that are done in the Old Testament, that are then fulfilled in the New Testament, right? So when Jesus studies Scripture, what is he studying? He's studying the Old Testament, okay? Remember, the, the New Testament wasn't around in the time of Jesus. Um, the New Testament, as we know it, was put together about 300 years after the time of Jesus, and that's a really good story on how that was put together, okay? So when we get people that, whenever you read in the New Testament over here, and they talk about Scripture, they read Scripture, or maybe you've heard of the noble Bereans that studied Scripture to find out if what Paul was saying was true. What Scripture were they studying? The Old Testament, right? And from the Old Testament, they found Jesus and were able to confirm the story of the Gospel. Isn't this, isn't this cool? So when we look at the Old Testament, not only, hopefully, what we're going to discover in the next couple of weeks, hopefully, is we're going to discover that, that not only is it just something to get through, but every part of the story is essentially the beginning of the gospel. It starts, the gospel message starts in Genesis. It does not start in Matthew. And so when we kind of skip the Old Testament, we're essentially only getting half the gospel message. Okay? But it starts in Genesis, and that's what we're going to look at today. We're going to look at the tabernacle. So without further ado... Um, I don't know if you guys know what the tabernacle is. Just go two, two, two slides on, Hannes, to that picture. So this is the tabernacle, and this was instituted by God um, as they were fleeing out of, out of uh, Egypt. And God gives these very, very specific instructions um, to Moses in Exodus 25 verse 9. He says to him that you must build this exactly as I tell you. So the first thing that we've got to know about the tabernacle is that it's not a man-made thing. This is something that God instituted himself. God tells Moses, I'm going to give you very, very specific instructions. And when you get this right, the verse just before 25 verse 9, which is 25 verse 8. Theology. Um, he says to them that, that when, you, when you put this to, thing together, I will dwell amongst you, okay? This is beautiful. And this dwell, it's an, it's an old Hebrew word, and it basically means to camp, to tent. I will come and camp with you, okay? And, but the, the problem here is that the Israelites are a bunch of sinners, okay? Just like you and me, okay? Turn to, to somebody next to you and say, you're such a sinner. Sinner. <laughs> Got a bunch of sinners in church. Ah! Fire! Sorry, okay. <laughs> sinners, redeemed by Jesus. Okay, move on. So, so the problem is that, that the Israelites, they're not under the new covenant that we are under. They are under the old covenant. And they're still separated from God because of this, the sin that they're in that Adam caused. And so when God comes and dwells amongst them, he hangs out in this inner sanctuary. So we've got this outer court. Okay, then we go into this inner court over here, and this would be called the holy place. And then God would hang out in this inner, inner court called the holy, the most holy of holies. And there was this, this curtain or this veil that separated the most holy of places from the holy place. Okay, 
And so, and nobody was, nobody was allowed in there. And in fact, if you did go in there, God would strike you dead. Okay? So, because of your sin, because of your trespasses, if you attempted to go into that area, you would die instantly. And there wasn't actually an entranceway. There wasn't an opening. There wasn't like a, a way to squeeze in between the curtains. It was completely sealed. And so, God dwelt amongst them, but he dwelt separate from them. Okay? And so... Basically, there would be all these different things and all these different rituals. So it'd start off in the outer court, and then there would be this altar over here, the altar of burnt offerings. And so that's where they'd, they would do their ritualistic animal sacrifices, and there's many, many different kinds of sacrifices, and you can read about that after Exodus 30. But in, you can read about how they put this thing together in um, Exodus 27 from verse 1 to 8, and then they would wash, and then they would go into the holy place, and they'd do a bunch of different rituals. I'm not going to talk about this. This is the altar of incense and the candlestick. But I'm not going to talk about that today either. These, those two, those are big sermons in and of themselves. But I'm going to talk about this table. What, a table? Cool. And on this table, there would be bread, and it's unleavened bread. So I don't have unleavened bread. I've got cheated a little bit. And there'd be two stacks of Six loaves each, six portions of bread, 12 in total to basically for representing the 12 tribes of Israel. And so on a daily basis, the priests would conduct the sacrifices, they'd wash up, and they'd do various different rituals in here, almost on a daily basis, okay? And you as a person, you could come into this outer court, and mostly, most of the time, you as a person were sacrificing your own animal, Every once in a while, the priest would sacrifice her. About once a week or so, the priest would do an offering and take it inside. But they were going in and out. And, and to be a priest, I mean, I think the Afrikaans people would have made great priests because all they did basically was braai, eat meat, go inside there and eat bread. I think, I think the Afrikaans people are descendant from the Levite tribes. And, uh, and that's where it comes from. I'm claiming it. Hashtag heritage day. Heritage of the Levites. And uh, so, and, but, so they do a whole bunch of things, but nobody went in there. In fact, it was so sacred, like I said, that you'd be struck dead. And so inside over here, we had the Ark of the Covenant. And this, this Ark of the Covenant, it was made of pure gold. And um, it had these angels that were that was sort of covering the ark. They, the Bible describes them as having their wingtips touching each other. And, um, and inside the ark, there were three things. Do you know what these three things were? I'm hearing a murmuring. Twelve commandments. Yes, Bethlehem for the win. So they have the twelve commandments. That was one of the items. Then the second item would be manna. So some of the first manna that God gave, they put in a cup, and they put in the ark. And then the third thing was a very interesting thing. It was the staff of Aaron. And this staff was particularly interesting because it had, it had a flower that had budded on the staff. And I've, I don't know if you've seen a walking stick, a wooden walking stick. It's a pretty dead piece of wood most of the time. And, uh, but you can read about this in um, Exodus 29, 
where God chooses the high priest. He basically gets all the Levites, all the elder men to bring their walking sticks into the tent of meeting. And he tells Moses, okay, get all the sticks there, lay them around, and in the morning come back. And I would have chosen my high priest. And in the morning they came back and they found out that Aaron's staff had budded. It budded with flowers. And the Bible tells us there were ripe almonds to eat on the staff. That's pretty incredible, right? And so... This is how Aaron was chosen as the high priest. And so in the Ark of the Covenant, you've got these three items. You've got Aaron's staff, which basically represents God's priesthood. Then you've got the manna, which represents God's provision. Then ultimately, you've got Ten Commandments, which represents God's law, right? And so, like I said, nobody was allowed in there, okay? But, But for one day. There was one day of the year where one person, the high priest, could go into this place. So this is, this is, a, this is, this is a big deal, because remember, God lives here. Okay, he doesn't live here. He doesn't live there. He doesn't live outside. He only lives in there, but nobody's allowed in there. There's this veil that separates us and God. And on this veil, there would be embroidered pictures of cherubim or angels, right? And just to represent that God's holy place, most holy place, is protected. It's not just separated, it's protected. And so once a year, it would be a day called the Day of Atonement. And the high priest was once a year allowed into this place. Okay. And so basically what he'd do is he'd slaughter an animal. He did this twice in one day. Slaughtered an animal. He got a he got a cup, collected the blood. Okay, cool. Collect the blood. Came over here, he washed up, he purified purified himself with the water. He went into the holy place, did a whole bunch of random different rituals over here, ate bread. There'd be a pitcher of, of wine as well. Bread and wine, sound familiar? Okay, great, on a table. Cool, we'll get to that just now. And then he'd stand in front of this curtain, right? Probably like his heart's pounding in his chest, like, oh, shucks, I better got this right. Otherwise, I'm about to be struck dead on the spot. Whew, you know? And uh, now there's no way into this place. So what you'd have to do is you'd actually have to crawl under the curtain to get into the most holy place. And, and right before he does that, he walks up to the curtain and he, and he says that basically that I draw near to the curtain or that the, the priest is at hand at the curtain. Okay, and he crawls under, under this curtain and he sprinkles some blood. He hasn't been struck dead yet, so he's like, whew, winner. And then uh, God strikes him dead because of his pride. No, I'm joking. <laughs> it's a joke. Okay, so sprinkles blood, gets out quickly. Now he's like, oh, shucks, I've got to do this all again. So first time he does it, he does it for his own sin. The second time he does it, he does it for the sin of Israel, right? So he comes back and he starts the whole thing again. Okay. Whew. Sacrifice another animal, collect the blood. Cool. Wash up. Okay, cool. Eat bread, drink wine. Cool. To party. And... Uh, Go, yeah, stand, okay. High priest, drawing, okay, cool. Go inside, sprinkle blood once again on the altar, and then he comes out, and then he starts to sprinkle blood on everything. Everything's getting blood. It's like an Oprah show. You're getting blood, you're getting blood. Everybody's getting blood, okay. And basically, this, this blood is now, is now like making everything holy, okay. And once a year, the priest would go inside this holy place and make atonement for not only himself and the line of, of Levites, but also for the whole of Israel. 
Okay, and he, he only got to do this once a year. Once a year, one person, okay? And uh, so how does this relate to Jesus? Well, before we go to the New Testament, or just go to that next picture. Um, let me just, I think this is a little bit clearer. So, laser pointer, great. So the entrance would be over here. Also, just take note of this compass. Uh, facing east, the whole tabernacle would face east. This whole thing together is known as, a, as the tabernacle. You've got the altar, so they come in here, do sacrifice, wash up, do their rituals, eat bread, light candles, altar incense. This candle stick as well, for, just for interest's sake, it was actually really dark in there just because they had all these layers of cloth to make up this tent. And this candlestick would be the only light source. And then another very interesting thing, this is just a side note, I'm really trying not to go down a tangent here, but it's very interesting, is that the, the altar of incense, the coal from the, off, from, the, from the altar would actually be, they take the coal from the altar and use it to light the incense, okay? Um, and that's very interesting. Oh man, I just want to go on this tangent. Okay, I'm not going to do it, I'm not going to do it. It's, but it's a good story, okay? You guys can look it up yourself. And then here's the most holier place. So this is the place completely shut off from the outside. Only one person, the high priest of Israel, would be able to go into this place once a year. But at least he got to do it twice on one day, right? So I guess that counts for something. Once a year, one person gets to be in the presence of God, okay? Nobody else in Israel, nobody else in all the world, okay? Except, of course, for the prophets being an exception. And so, like I said, how does this relate to Jesus? But before we go to the New Testament, we're going to go back to Genesis. Because this story starts in Genesis. The story of the gospel starts in Genesis. We're going to go to Genesis 2, so you can open up your Bibles to, from Genesis 2, verses 8 to 10. And then we're going to read um, 15 to 17. So I'm going to read this. I'm going to point out a few things. And you try and see if something looks familiar here. Okay? Just... Just have a look here. Okay. Genesis chapter 2 from verse 8. And the Lord God planted a garden in Eden. Okay. Is it the garden of Eden or the garden in Eden? Okay. It's a garden in Eden. So in other words, there's this place called Eden. And God and Eden basically means paradise. Um, and God plants a garden in Eden. Okay. But he planted in a specific place. Where does he plant it? In the east. God, and the Lord God planted a garden in the, in, in the east. Okay. Which way does that tabernacle face again? Okay. And, and there he put the man whom he had formed. And out of the ground the Lord God made to spring up every tree that is pleasant to the sight and good for food. It's a party. There's food in this place. It's a good place. It's in the east. And there's food, and this is where man works, right? And uh, for food, the tree of life was in the midst of the garden and the tree of knowledge of good and evil. Now listen to this. Verse 10. A river flowed out of Eden to water the garden, and there it divided and became four, four rivers. And it goes on to explain the names of these four rivers, and that's pretty interesting in and of itself. But something you need to take note of is that the, the Old Testament mixes sometimes metaphors with literal stories, okay? 
And this, and some people say, oh, well, the, the Old Testament Genesis is just metaphorical. And that doesn't diminish its value. What it basically means is, this is a place so beyond our comprehension, God has to use metaphors to try and describe it to us. Okay? The use of metaphors doesn't diminish its... I don't understand why people make that jump. It's metaphorical. Why does that mean that it's not true? It just means you don't understand it. Right? So there's this place. It is so wonderful. It is so beyond our comprehension that in order for God to explain it to us, He uses metaphors. Okay, that should also kind of terrify you when you think of hell. Because God, Jesus also uses metaphors to describe hell, which we will talk about in three weeks. Okay, that doesn't mean that hell is this metaphorical place. It means that it is a place so beyond your comprehension that Jesus has to use metaphors in order to describe it. Right? Yes? Ooh, shucks. Okay. Three weeks. We'll, we'll talk about it. Okay. So, so, so there's this thing where this river splits up into four. And what also has four things, four corners of, the, of a map, four points of a compass. So this is, this is a really cool poetic way of saying that this river starts in, in Eden, the source, the central point, and it splits into four and goes to the four corners of the globe. It, it, it's from this one place, feeds and, and nourishes the whole earth. Okay, that's, that's basically what it is saying, Okay. And let's skip ahead now to verse 15. The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden to work and to keep it. What is man's job in the middle of this place? He has to work and keep it. What is the role of the priest? They work, tend, keep the sheep of Israel. They work this place. And from this place that they work, they also eat. Right? Are you, are you seeing this? This look familiar? And in fact, when, when Jesus comes, he's described not only as being the high priest, he's also described as being the new type of Adam, right? He's also described as being a new type of Adam. He's the Adam that Adam should have been, right? Who was Adam supposed to? He was supposed to tend this place, keep it, right? And from this place, he'd find nourishment and everything that he needed, Okay. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, You may surely eat of every tree of the garden, but the tree of knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in that day you eat it, you shall surely die. Okay? So we've got this, this outer place, the dry lands. We've got, this, we've got this place called Eden. In Eden, God plants a garden. And in the middle of this garden, he plants two trees. Okay? The one is the tree of life. Okay? What, what was in the Ark of Covenant? Aaron's staff, right? What happened to it? Budded to life, basically. And there's this other tree, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. What else was in the Ark of the Covenant? Ten Commandments, right? What is the, what is the purpose of the Ten Commandments? Paul says this in Romans, that its purpose is to tell us what is sinful, what is good, what is not good. And what else is in the Ark of the Covenant? It's manna. And there's this river that flows out of Eden, right? And from it sustains all life. It's, it's essentially the provision of God, okay? And I'm not saying that that's, I'm saying that that's, it's a literal thing, um, obviously. And so, 
what we're seeing here is that when God institutes the tabernacle in, in Exodus, he is essentially using this as a, as a metaphor, in a sense, a, of what the, his original intent was. The tabernacle is, in essence, a symbol of how God, literally in, in Genesis, and then metaphorically in Exodus, is, it's a symbol of how God related to us. And you see, God's original de- in God's original design, in Genesis, man lived over here, in the most holy of holy places, with God, he dwelt with him every day. He communed with him, and his job was to tend this place. But something happens in Genesis 3. Do you guys know what happens? Uh, the woman messes up. No, Joe, it takes two to tango. And they decide, God says to them that, okay, look at everything. You can eat anything you want. In fact, he doesn't even tell them that they can't eat from the tree of life. He says, you can't eat from the tree of the knowledge of good and evil, right? But you can have anything, just don't eat of this tree. And they decide, Adam and Eve together, they decide that they're going to take things into their own hands. And what does God do? He says, well, if you want to play by your own rules, then you need to leave. And he takes them to the edge, opens up the gate, chucks them out, cheers, and he closes the gate behind them. And essentially, ever since then, man has been knocking on this door, trying to get back into Edom, trying to get back into communion with God. And that is the story of the Old Testament. Is man, by his own sinful desires, was chucked out and he's been trying to get back to God ever since. And he's been knocking and he's been knocking. But the door's been shut. In fact, in Genesis 3, we are told that God puts a cherubim by the gate and he's guarding this place. Just like that picture of the tabernacle, there's, what would, there was a cherubim that was embroidered in the, in the veil, right? Separating the most holy of places from the holy place. That is the story of the Old Testament. But good news, the story does not end there. Amen. Fantastic. Otherwise, we're in trouble. Listen to this. So Mark 1 verse 15, I want to read this for you. This blows my brain every time. Metaphorically. One verse 15. This is how Jesus starts his his ministry. He's, He's baptized by John the Baptist. And, uh, and basically, he gets to Galilee and he starts proclaiming the gospel of God. This is the good news. Okay, why is this line good news? He says, the time is fulfilled. What, what time? The time that that door will be opened once more. And he, and he repeats the words of the high priest. He says, but this time he doesn't say, I draw near. He says, the kingdom of God is at hand. Repent and believe in the gospel. In other words... God is sitting over here in the most holy of holies. He's kind of looking at us all there. He knows that we, ever since the fall, we haven't even been able to get into the door. Not only have we not been able to get into the door, but even if we did, we'd have nothing 
to put on the altar that would be worth sacrificing, that it could appease God. There'd be nothing that could cleanse us of our sin, right? And there's, there'd be nothing that would provide for our everyday needs. And so God's kind of looking at us on the other side and he's, of the Old Testament, you're going to get this like, okay, when are they going to get it? Okay, fine, I'll do it myself. And Jesus gets out of the holy place, the most holy place, and he comes to the door here, and it's still shut, and he says to them, the kingdom of God is at hand. I'm about to do something. I'm about to wretch open this door, because you can't open it yourself. I'll do it myself. This is how he starts his ministry. Repent, for the kingdom of God is at hand. This is the good news, right? Listen to this. In John 1 verse 14, John tells us that the word became flesh and dwelt among us. Same Hebrew word, same word. The word became flesh and camped among us, right? He tabernacled with us. In Hebrews 10 verse 21 to 22, we find out that Jesus is the high priest. He replaces Adam, in a sense. In Hebrews, in John 1 verse 29, and in Hebrews 10, we found out that Jesus is the final sacrifice. Right? Not only is the altar, but he's also the sacrifice, the final sacrifice. Not just a sacrifice, the sacrifice to end all sacrifices. In John 6 verse 35, he declares that I am the bread of life. In John 4 verse 14, he says, The water that I give you, from the water that I give you, you will never thirst. In Matthew 26 from verse 17 to 30, he invites his disciples to a dinner around a table. And he breaks bread, right? And there's 12 disciples. How many times does he have to break this bread? 12 times, okay? 12 disciples, 12 pieces of bread. And he, and he takes... And he takes the wine and he pours and he says, this is my blood poured out for you. This is my body broken for you. This is my blood poured out for you. Okay? In Luke 23 verse 45, we read that while he's on the cross, the veil that separated God from us is now torn in half from the bottom to the top. Where there was never an opening, God tears it smack down the middle in half. Not only that, but he tells us that he is the narrow gate in Matthew. Can you see how Jesus now starts to replace everything that we've known about the tabernacle? Jesus comes and replaces that. Well, you can't get in the door. You know what? I'll be the door. You can't offer a sacrifice. I'll be the sacrifice. You can't purify yourself. I'll become the living water. You can't offer your own body. I'll become the bread of life. Hey, you know what? You can't get through that veil. Don't worry. I'll tear it down. And on the cross, he dies. But he's, it's not one cross. There's three crosses, Right? There's one man who acknowledges that Jesus, you are the life. And there's another man who declares, I will still decide what is right and wrong in my own eyes. 
and they look at the source of all life. So from Eden, there's this river that flows out. After Eden in the Old Testament, man has to buy his way in with a river of blood to get back in. But it's a river of blood that never quite gets there. And so Jesus offers his own blood. There's one thing that will reach, that will reach God. There's one, there's one river that is good enough, and it is the blood from me that flows, that will tear the veil. And so Jesus comes to this door, and he yanks it open. And he stands on the other side, and he starts to declare, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life. Come follow me. I'll take you there. You can't get in. Don't worry. I've opened up for you. You don't have anything to offer. Don't worry. Take my blood. You can't clean yourself. Don't worry. I'll clean you. You've got nothing to eat. Come sit. Come eat of my body. Come drink of my blood. And there's this amazing thing that we read about in, in Hebrews 6 where the barriers fall as God intended. Hebrews tells us that as God intended, there are now no more barriers. There's not a barrier between the place where we're eating and the place where we're dwelling with God. Okay? Let's open up to Ezekiel 47. Let's see if this looks familiar. How much time have I got left? Okay, I'm still got time. I'll start to finish up now. Wow. What is Ezekiel for? Just, just listen to this. See if this sounds familiar. Look at what Ezekiel prophesies that will be restored. Then he brought me back to the door of the temple, and behold, water was issuing from below the threshold of the temple towards the east, for the temple faced the east. The water was flowing down from below the south end of the threshold of the temple of the south of the altar. Then he goes on to describe how this, this trickle of water became a stream, became a, a rushing river. This river was so deep that you couldn't get through it. Then he led me back to the bank of the river, verse 7. And as I went back, I saw on the bank of the river very many trees on one side and on the other. And he said to me, this water flows towards the eastern region, goes down to, to the Arabah and enters the sea. When the water flows into the sea, the water will become fresh. Isn't this beautiful? Okay, remember I said it starts in Genesis, it ends in Revelation. Let's go to Revelation 22. This is the last chapter of the Bible. In, in, in Revelation 21, we read about how God restores this new heaven and this new earth. In Revelation 22, we get a picture of what this new heaven and this new earth looks like. Let's see if this sounds familiar. Then the angel showed me the river of water of life, bright as crystal, flowing from the throne of God and, and of the Lamb. Through the middle of the street of the city also, on either side of the river, the tree of life, with its 12 kinds of fruit, yielding its fruit each month. The leaves of the tree were for the healing of the nations. No longer will there be anything accused, accursed, but the throne of God and of the Lamb will be in it, and the servants will worship Him. They will see His face, and His name will be on their foreheads, and night will be no more. They will need no light or lamp, or sun, for the Lord God will be their light, and they will reign forever and ever. 
Can you see how this starts? It starts with us being chucked out. It ends with essentially us returning back to Eden, this new Eden, how God intended to dwell with us all along. And it's not by what we could accomplish. Jesus comes and does it. He's, he, he trades this journey of coming to the throne room of God and he takes the journey that we should have taken, which started with Pilate being accused and ends with somebody being crucified on a cross. And we trade that for a journey that starts with the good shepherd and ends with dwelling in the house of the Lord forever. Does this sound familiar? Psalm 23, All right? The Lord is my shepherd. I will not want. He leads me to green pastures. He leads me besides these still waters. He restores my soul, All right? He leads me on paths of righteousness for his name's sake. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You've prepared a table for me in the presence of my enemies. My cup overflows. You anoint my head with oil. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Isn't that beautiful? David sang about the law, about the tabernacle. This is what Psalm 23 is all about. And he delighted in it. He found joy in it. And uh, what I'd like you to do is I want you to read Exodus 25 to 30. Try it out. And I want you to look at these different things. Okay? And I want you to Google them. What do these things mean? What is Jesus fulfilling by these things? Each and every single one of these, these the details in the in the in the uh, tabernacle, all essentially point to Jesus. Every chapter of the Bible, of the Old Testament, points to the fulfillment of Jesus. Isn't that beautiful? Let's stand together. We're going to do communion today, but we're going to do communion a little bit differently. So I, I need to keep the lights on because you need to be able to read. And so I want everybody to get out a Bible. You can get a, a, a Bible out on your phone or, or something. And I want you to open up to Psalm 23. Because we're going to go on a journey together. Okay? So if you, if you don't have a Bible or, or Bible app on your phone, you can um, just turn to somebody, go with a friend. And uh, we're going to go on a journey together. We're going to have communion in front. And um, we, we are going to go on a journey with the Good Shepherd. And while, while you're queuing to come get communion, we're going to start from this side and we're just going to queue around this side to come get communion. I want you to read Psalm 23 to yourself. I want you to meditate. Meditate on the things that David meditated on. And I want you to allow Jesus to take you on this journey, this good journey where he leads you to this place of restoration with God. Marshant, um, if you can just help me get this. I'm not going to make you go through the wonky door. Don't worry. Um, I feel scared every time I go through that thing. No, joking. Thanks, guys. And, I, and I, so I don't want you to talk to one another. I, I really want you to take an opportunity to really just meditate on what's God, what God is doing. And um, if I can get some facilitators to come up now, 
over here. There's going to be some facilitators over here. If there's something that you need to get off your chest, right? I want you to come to a facilitator that's going to pray for you over here. Because remember, remember this is the good news. Jesus meets us over here at the gate. He doesn't wait for us to get our life sorted out over there because we can't do it. He meets us over here, right? And so before you start this journey, there's something that you need to get off your chest. And maybe, maybe you've never met Jesus before or you, or you knew Jesus, but you walked away, okay? Maybe the, the road got a bit too hard. Maybe the Jesus that you were introduced to wasn't the Jesus that I've described, the one who paid everything, one who replaced every single element of the tabernacle to meet you over here, to provide for you, to get to God where you could not, right? Maybe you've been jumping through too many hoops. Maybe, maybe you've been trying to do these things by yourself. I want to invite you just to come pray with some of the facilitators over here. And I want you to read Psalm 23, and I want you to come grab communion. When you've got communion, I want you to go take a seat again, and I want you to do communion together with your family or with your friends, just you guys together, okay? And I want you to thank God for how He's provided for your every need, amen? Okay, so starting this side, get out Psalm 23. You guys can start to queue, come get some, some communion elements, start to read. Thank you, Jesus, that we're, we're all invited to a party. And not only have you prepared this table for us, but, but you've also provided the food, the bread of life, your body broken for us. You've also provided the drink, your blood poured out for us. And thank you that you're, that you're busy calling out to all of us. Come commune with me. Come be part of me. So there's, there's a second part to the story, you see, because the story doesn't just end with us coming into this place. Because what Jesus teaches us later on in Corinthians is that he sets up his temple inside of us. Right? And he comes to dwell inside of us and essentially he makes us his living place. See, it's not just that, that God is the tabernacle, it's that he makes us also a tabernacle, a place from which water flows, a place that can transform communities, transform a family, that can heal the sick, that can give sight to the blind, can give hearing to the deaf. These are waters that, that can do away with depression and the darkness of anxiety. These are waters that bring life and life in abundance. They turn us into more than conquerors. And, and I need to iterate, it's not because we're special, it's, it's because we've invited Jesus into our hearts. And you see, some of us, some of us we, we fall into two categories sometimes. Sometimes we've got an empty cup and uh, we're standing over here, and we've got nothing to give. The good news is that Jesus pours out freely. He 
In fact, he, in Psalm 23, he says that he doesn't just pour out, he pours out till my cup overflows. But he's called us here essentially to send us out again. And now it's our job to go into the nations and call people to offer them this way of life. See, some of us, some of us, we have dry cups and we come to Jesus and he fills them up. But some of us have these full cups and they're standing there and we, we're, not, we're not using it. You know what happens to water if it stands too long? It miffs, right? Sometimes we've become so selfish, so self-focused with what's going on in our own lives we, that we're not looking at what's going, across the high, what's going on across the highway in our very town. What's going on with my neighbor? What's going on with my wife, my spouse? What's going on with my kids? What's going on with my co-workers? But you see, Jesus has placed the source of life. It's from us, essentially, this temple where he sets up and these streams of water begin to flow out. So I'm, I'm going to pray. If you know that you've been given so much by God, you know that your cup has been filled to overflowing and you have a desire to pour it out around you, right? The best thing to do is when your cup starts overflowing is to start grabbing other people's cups, right? Take some of mine. And you know that God's given you something. Maybe you don't know exactly what that, what that is for just yet, but you know that God's filled up your cup and you've got something to give. You don't know where that is. You don't know how that is, but you want to give it. What we're going to do is we're going to pray for you because in Psalm 23, it says that he also anoints us. And what does this anointing do? It's, it's a consecration. It's a consecration for a good work, to do a good work. So I'm going to invite you to come up front. We're going to get some facilitators to pray for and anoint you. So if, those, if you know you've got something to give, you want to give it, you want to put, your, put something somewhere, I just want you to start coming up right now. We're going to start praying for you. Where are you standing? Just come up. Come, come. Let's go. Let's go. And some of the facilitators as well. You know that your cup has been filled to overflowing. And I want to start, I, I want to start dishing this out. What God has freely given me, I want to now freely give to other people. Let's go. Come, guys. Come, come, come. Let's go. This isn't a trick question. Don't need to think about it. It's very simple. I've got something that I want to give. Okay? If you want to be prayed for, we're going to invite you up front. If you're not coming up front, you're not off the hook, I want you to turn to somebody next to you because I'm assuming that you're now sorted out and everything's hunky-dory in your life. I want you to talk to this person. What is it that God has given me and where am I going to be using it? So turn to somebody next to you and start praying. And when you guys are finished, there's tea and coffee at the back. We're officially done with the service. But please pray with each other first. Go with God and be blessed. Have a great week.